America has fallen in love with the 430 movie. Have you? Check it out at 430movie.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Docterman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And we are so happy to be here with two very special guests and regulars on the show. Um, we what have... are the guests or regulars? What do you regular, regular guests? I guess they have a lot of brand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it takes 10 bowls of total. Uh, wow. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway. Um, what are they? I, I, I'm about to tell you. Thank you for asking. Our, 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 our regular commentator, Trexpert extraordinaire, the uh, director, co-writer, and editor of um, the beloved um, Star Trek homage Free Enterprise, and also man behind such uh, the, the the special features on the Star Trek: The Next Generation Blu-rays, as well as Enterprise, and producer on Agent Cody Banks, and uh, he is the host and producer of the new Observations on YouTube, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. It's good to be here. It's good to be talking Trek with you once again. Indeed. And uh, we have a uh, the writer and producer on such shows as Fringe, Ter- Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. He has the new season of Lore dropping right now on Amazon. And uh, he will soon be uh, going back to the age of the Riddle of Steel with uh, Red Sonja. Um, you know him as uh, evil. We know him as Ashley E. Miller. And uh, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back. Ashley is uh, <laughs> welcome joining back us for the first time. time. <laughs> right? We're caught in a recursive time loop. A- Ashley, of course, is, is a familiar face to us from the 430 movie. And uh, he has kindly decided to uh, share his knowledge and love of Star Trek for the Inglorious Trexperts. Well, nobody else will let me do it. There you go. <laughs> and um, today is going to be a fun episode because we're going to talk about Star Trek toys. 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 Or as Carrie Guffey said in Close Encounters, toys. The greater <laughs> wow. the mind, That's the greater the need for play. Yeah. The simplicity of play. The charts show a meteorite field. You have to change course. Activate the Star Treculator. Check. Now you can play Star Trek with a Star Treculator. <laughs> A digital calculator that never makes a mistake. Batteries not included. Take these numbers. 6,000. 6,000. Check. Divide by 12. (laughs) Check. And that finishes the homework for the day. The Star Treculator adds, multiplies, divides, and subtracts by Mego. You know, let's start from the beginning. I mean, when you were a kid, what were the cool, you know... Star Trek toy I ever saw was also the worst packaged one. Uh, it was called the Tracer Gun, and it had the Star Trek logo on it, and it had cut-out pictures of Kirk and Spock on it, and it had nothing whatsoever to do with Star Trek. But it was one of these, some toy company said, oh, let's just put this, uh, we'll put the Star Trek thing on it, kids will buy it. I did. And I, I had it, and it, it had it was like this uh, sort of gold plastic uh, uh, gun that you would put these tiny little discs in, and you would load it up, and you would shoot them across the room and probably hurt someone with Kirk it or Spock. It was awesome. 
perfectly. <laughs> okay, because it worked great. It, it if, did. If you remember, it had a spring-loaded like clip. Yeah, it was like a bullet clip, but so you could load in like load ten in of them, ten, ten and pack them down, and the, the you spring could put the would, whole crew in there, and the, yeah. it, it fed the mechanism, <laughs> fed into the. Yeah, it, it was great, and it worked really well, and it shot him out. <laughs> Imagine if Kirk had had that in Arena. Yeah. See, people think this whole <laughs> phenomena of rebranding toys that have nothing to do with the subject is something new. It's like Star Trek Clue, you know, or, yeah. you know, Star Wars Monopoly or, you know, all this stuff. But this stuff went all the way back to, yeah. you know, it's it's a Davy Crockett chess set, you know. They also had a small a handgun and then they later made a, a rifle. Right. Of like a phaser rifle, which was awesome, too. But you lost the. The tracers yeah. lasted. No, they you, they were gone. You, the you first shot them out once, and where's that? I don't know. Yeah. Luckily, I got a bunch more. You were exercising your Second Amendment rights to carry a phaser. Huh? That's right. Uh, it was incredible. even without any kind of training or. License. But the, the great thing, I I got more enjoyment out of the out of the packaging of it than the gun itself because I would I would trace the Star Trek logo on it, and I would trace the pictures of Kirk and Spock, and it was more fun for me, you know, drawing from that than actually playing with the gun. So you could trace your you uh, whole career lot, as a successful concept artist in Hollywood to, to that the Star moment. Trek <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tracer actually, gun. Actually, I can. Wow. Yeah. Look at that. That's where it all began. And who'd have known from those small beginnings what an empire I've developed? <laughs> <laughs> because, of course, for those of you who are just joining the show, Darren, of course, is a concept designer who's worked on such shows as Westworld Season 2, uh, The Chronicles of Riddick, uh, Real Steel. A bunch of others. Bunch over of... 80 stuff over the past 30 years. Yeah, but, so I'm not uh, going to go through the whole list no, because we have out of time. Find me on IMDb. There you go. <laughs> or on Twitter at Darren Doc. Um, and uh, so that was your first toy. So, Rob, what, what do you remember going back to your, your days as a wee lad? What was My, your first Star Trek toy? You well, I'm, you know, I, obvi- the obvious answer would be the Mego action figures, but no. My favorite Star Trek toy toys were the AMT model kits. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. And I probably built, first of all, when I first was building them, I think I was five or six because sure. I was already building models. And they were, you know, I got glue fingerprints all over yeah. them. But uh, I built probably over the course of my life 30 right. AMT model enterprises yeah. because as I got older. Each one got better and better. Each one got better and better. And then they they finally released, I want to say after 70, it was after 75, it was after the Franz Joseph. Mm-hmm. Technical manual came out. They released all the the names of the ships, the the twelve, the Constitution class. Actually, it was class. before that. It was before that. Was it before yeah. that? Because I remember in like seventy three or seventy four when I got my first AMT box, it had all of the okay ones. Good. I then I had to build all of them. Yeah. And at one point, my mother was in one big happy fleet. <laughs> well, she hated the fact. She's like, "Why are you buying more of the same model?" And I'm like, "Because they're not the same. It's not the same. This is the Exeter. <laughs> you know, this is the Hood. The this constellation is the, with authentic the, battle damage. Yeah, the Potemkin and the Intrepid. You know, and my mom. This mom's is the like, Congo that no one's ever seen. Well, the Potemkin wasn't really a starship. It's just it the British intelligence thought it was. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, and then, and then, of course. You did things like you had to make your burnt-up doomsday machine sure. constellation. constellation. Yeah. And that was that I also did multiple versions of because once I figured out you could put, like, styrene in right, for, the ship for and the then to make the different decks and then burn it out. Yeah. So it was – and that became – I probably did three or four of those. Yeah. And they got better and better and better. So – and then, of course, they made the Galileo. And then they did, did the you exploration. you walk into your room and go, the Constellation, she's been destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they did the, the, the exploration set where you, right. you finally got a phaser, a communicator, and a tricorder, which but were all too small. small. They were too small. But they were, 
but not for kids our size. Yes. Right, that they was were they perfect were, for us. Right. My yep. uncle got me that set, and he built them for me, and he put a little light in the phaser. Oh wow! And it was the best thing ever. My brother built like an entire armory full of phasers and enough equipment for an entire starship crew, uh, yeah. and just handed it out to his friends. That's awesome. Yeah. See, that's oh, a really yeah. cool thing because it's not like now where, like, you know, you, you, you throw a rock and you hit a Star Trek toy. You know, you, you can get it on the Internet. I mean, to have the phaser and the tricorder and any, you know, it, it was just amazing, particularly for those of you who I'm sure you all did, played Star Trek as kids. Oh, yeah. On the schoolyard. Remember, stuff. this was the Dark Ages. Okay, this was before the Internet. This was before, before the Empire. Before the Empire. Um, the, the amount of stuff that just was sneaking out of Star Trek uh, was primarily because of the animated show. Uh, that's what sort of instituted like all the Mego dolls and the, mm-hmm. and, uh, the expansion of the model kits because originally they only put out the Enterprise. Um, but it was sort of the beginning of this, like we talked about before, this, this fan base that was hungering for more Star Trek because it wasn't being made. I love that eventually that AMT model kit was sort of like the last straw for Roddenberry because it's the one of Spock where he's the phaser and he's shooting the snake right. on the box. The three-headed snake. The three-headed hydra snake that he has. The, and like Roddenberry, like there are memos about this. If you go and look at his uh, the archives, as I did for the 50-year mission, you know he was very upset about mm-hmm. the depiction of violence against an alien species, which, of course, he later would say ad nauseum about Star Trek II when they killed the SETI eel. Right. Like, what did he say? I don't remember. Well, he basically he basically <laughs> said he basically said that you know they wouldn't just so casually destroy an alien life form without alien trying life, to stay. Alien life forms are very are very uh, uh, honorable, and we should try our best to understand them first, and then destroy them later. Yeah, well, especially the uh, ones that crawl inside of the, <laughs> right, ear, yeah, the ear wrap canal. themselves around the cerebral cortex After and make us do things. Captain Terrell kill himself. Frankly, yeah. I think Chekhov's performance improved with the eel in his head. <laughs> it, yeah. But, you know, that brings up a good point. Even as a kid, like when licensed properties started, you, you started to get more and more things. Like we got the Corgi or Corgi toy of the, the James Bond yeah. things. Those are very cool. Mm-hmm. But when they would make things that were just supposed to appeal to kids like Spock firing a phaser at a three-headed dragon, mm-hmm. right. I thought to myself, that isn't even from an episode. Right. I, I was insulted by what they would do. <laughs> and they would make these toys and slap Star Trek on them. Even yeah. when Mego finally came out and made the 8-inch action figures, which each came with a, a communicator and a phaser, it was great to have them. But when I finally got the bridge... Mm-hmm. Place that I'm like, this doesn't look anything, anything like, like the, the bridge. bridge. Like, do they think I'm stupid as a child? They and, do. Yes. Uh, I and know they, they did. <laughs> and, and they never understood the fact that kids, we wanted things to look as realistic and as right. close to what we were watching on TV as possible. And in the 70s. Why didn't they, they use the treculator in uh, the show? They <laughs> never buying a treculator. <laughs> they never gave us, I mean, I remember getting, even though it's a little off topic, the first land speeder toy for the three and three quarter inch Star Wars figures. I'm like, it's too short. The canopy is too high. Why doesn't it look like the land speeder in the movie? Right. Just so they can give you some spring-loaded special feature. As a kid, I always felt insulted with licensed toys. Mm-hmm. Now we live in a golden age where they, say, yeah. they're making them beautiful reproductions of exactly right. what you saw on screen. Well, they well. scan the actors so the likenesses are like incredible. Scary. I mean, but incredible. back then, it, it was it was as if. My mother would always be upset that I wasn't as excited about this toy. I wanted this toy so badly. When I would get it, there was always disappointment on my face. It's so well, funny you say that yeah. because I'm thinking about those Mego aliens. 
Vigo presents the Star Trek action figures featuring the crew of the Enterprise, Captain James T. Kirk, their fearless leader, Dr. Bones McCoy, caring for the health of the Enterprise crew, Scotty, chief engineer, in charge of the transporter role, Mr. Spock, the Vulcan first officer, Lieutenant Yahura, the communications officer, and new for 1976, the aliens, Klingon, their evil threatens the universe. Gorn, half-human, half-beast. Charon, is he good or evil? Neptunian, dangerous in space and in his own watery habitat. And the Keeper, his incredible intellect threatens the Enterprise. The Star Trek Aliens. Like, you know, the Keeper, at least, okay, fine. Neptunian. You know, but Neptunian, the alien. You know, How about like, the Gorn is wearing a Klingon outfit? Yeah, yeah. Well, and you're like, what? Maybe the, he killed the a goofiest, Klingon and decided that he was going to wear it. The goofiest thing is that Dr. McCoy looked like Howard Cosell. <laughs> so if you're I doing mean, a bananas play, so yeah. you could totally well, you could ha- play you could have him play with, football. You could have him play with the Muhammad Ali doll. And OJ. Yeah. So that would work. Well, I'm going to differ with you a little bit in the sense that, look, when I saw Spock shooting at an alien that I had never seen before, I didn't think, well, God damn it, that wasn't in the show. I thought, wow, they did stuff that wasn't even in the show. I wonder what that's from. I mean, And I agree, yes. I had, Clash of the Titans. Right. I had the, <laughs> the bridge play set, and I agree it was not exactly um, to spec. Don't get me wrong, but, I played with right, it forever. Exactly. <laughs> that, to me, was the thing that was exciting because what I loved about those toys, what I loved about having those models, I mean, and honestly, my brother was the model builder. I was just sort of the model player and occasionally the model breaker. Um, but I loved just imagining myself in that world, being with those characters or being those characters. Um, you know, when uh, I think my favorite Star Trek merchandise item when I was a lad, wasn't even something that was built as a, as a model kit. It wasn't made um, by somebody else and sold. It was, and again, I'm talking about my, my brother again, but um, he started this Star Trek club, and he made uniform shirts that were actually pretty great mm. for himself, for his friends, and for me. We had to, we had to sign an oath. And the oath, um, it was, you know, the Starfleet oath. And we had to swear that if we detected any Federation, any, I'm sorry, any Klingon or Romulan activity, we had to report it. Um, immediately. Immediately. The thing about it was, and I don't know why, if he was trying to send me a message, my shirt was red. <laughs> but uh, but I still loved it. And I loved, like, dressing up and getting out my bridge Was your brother set. mustard? Uh, yes, he was. See, of course he was. Mm-hmm. He had to be the captain. Yep. You know, I still have the eight. An unanswered mystery about that original Mego bridge set. Of course, we all remember the transporter chamber yes. that mm-hmm. you spin, yeah. and it had it had two sides. It was like the magic cabinet. Yeah. It came with stickers, moray stickers, yellow and black stickers that had a moray pattern on it. Did you put them on the outside surface of the of the cylinder? Or on the inside surface, so that when they're standing in there, you have the moray behind them, like in the original like in the show. transporter room. Which one did you do? Okay, it's funny you bring that up. Oh boy! Because going deep cut now. Because that was something as a kid, I did the inside first. Me too. And I realized it was wrong. 
Well, it, because it, it really it didn't work the way you the wanted it to. The whole point was that so I did it one. I did one way, right? And then I did the outside because the outside it was supposed to create it was supposed the pattern to spin when you and spun create it. sort of a sparkly kind of look. But yeah. again, as a kid who loves Star Trek, you're yeah. like, oh, that's the pattern yeah. on the wall behind the actual Me transporter. Too. Me too. And this was again, you were supposed to be more enamored of the fact that you had this. I'm like, no, I wanted the transporter to look yeah. like it looked in the show. Right. That was a huge thing, and I realized it was wrong. Yeah. And that the spinning thing didn't work. So my one of my things was was on the inside, and then I did it on the outside right. with my other stickers because right. it came with six stickers. How you yeah. doing, Ashley? I'm doing all right, man. Good meetings. Um, yeah, my you wanted to do this Trek happy. podcast. My, this is my what happiness you get. didn't really make me angry. <laughs> but to see, this is the thing, man. This is what what kids. And by the way, we're in minorities of one. There was nobody we could talk right. to or consult with. Yeah, our friends. Nobody had these things but us. Right. You didn't go on the internet. <laughs> I tried. There was no internet there. You had a cup with a string. I had my Star Trek communicator, my light blue Star Trek communicator that was huge. Yeah. Right. And I yeah. turned it on. I, I pressed the button for the alarm, and no one answered. Did you have the command console also? I never had that the command console. That was cool. Console. I had that. Yeah. that was how, many you, how many of you taped Star Trek episodes with audio cassettes Absolutely. off the TV? Yep. Now, 100%. here's my question, though, because we all did. Mm-hmm. Yep. What episodes? All of them? Well, I tried to do all of them. But really? I, I couldn't yep. buy enough tape. No, my parents would never. Wow. They would buy me a five-pack of blank tapes, and that was enough. I had Peace of the Action, Trouble with Tribbles, um, Balance of Terror. I mean, I like. I only did a couple. I think I had all of those. The, Star Trek II. My dad let me use his reel-to-reel tape recorder. Oh, that's nice. Wow. From the early 60s. And I would record it on these big reels. And so I would have like four or five episodes on a reel. And it was the greatest thing ever. Of it course, was- it, you couldn't connect it directly to the TV, so I had the microphone placed right up against the speaker. So occasionally you hear my mom yelling in the background, "Come to dinner," or something uh, like that, which Captain, is also a strange communication. Is also a wonderful record to have. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. But you know, this is the way we had to experience Star Trek because you couldn't get it on video. We didn't know what videotape was. You were lucky we if you knew what episode was going to be on. Exactly. If you didn't buy a TV Guide, you didn't know what they were showing that night. Exactly. And this brings up what we were talking about before, was this is where we learned how to identify the episode from the first 10 seconds. Absolutely. Yeah. So we knew if we'd already recorded it or not. See, what I loved, and, and I, I know a lot of fans hate this place, and it probably you you probably not like it because it was not screen accurate, was the Mission to Gamma 4, <laughs> which was the Apple but right. with Val, yeah. and because of course there was no hand that sees, but I thought for <laughs> play value it was really fun because it had those little David well, Soul you can get the, things. You and can get the hand to play with the, the three-headed the hand, uh, the hand snake. Can, you know, it was uh, too small. It was and, too small. And, and, and it had, you know, it had Val. I mean, it was, you know, for that it was a religious Vol. experience. That wasn't Val. But it, it kind of was. I knew it kinda Vol. was Val. That wasn't Val. Because you could have your <laughs> AMT Enterprise in orbit firing at Val, <laughs> yep. and, you know, and, and it was awesome. Captain's Log, Stardate 5122-6, on a mission to Gamma 6. Spock, Bones, Scotty, and I beamed down, not knowing what to expect. We approached the idol. Its jaws were moving. Suddenly, five Lilliputians appeared, each attached to the other. The aliens placed themselves in front of the idol. Strange animals tried to grab us. Bones was trapped in a man-eating plant. Suddenly, the floor gave way. I was in the cave. The Lilliputians were friendly. Mission to Gamma 6 was a success. 
I, I, I like that playset. I'm sorry. No, it's but... a, look. It's okay to like things, but it's also okay not to like things. That's right. So it just you know, it's just. I think it's just. On some level, it's a matter of perspective. It's a little like when I was a kid and first started discovering the Star Trek novels after, I which I think are, girls, but okay, yeah, started yeah, yeah, that too. But um, but yeah, I appreciated the Star Trek novels first, you know, because I, you know, I uh, I may have heard a, a podcast with you guys talking about this Star Trek the motion picture novelization, um, <laughs> and how bananas that was, and Vonda and McIntyre with like the entropy effect, and, that, and I would go and I would search. What for those was the books. name of that pocketbooks line? That that kicked off. Timescape. Yeah, That's right. <laughs> you win. I don't have anything to give you, but uh, yeah. uh, it was always like it was weird, like space hippies all over the place. But but I loved it, and I kept. Anytime I saw anything like that, I thought it was wonderful. Whether you know it it matched my exact recollections, and they were pretty goddamn exact um, of what had happened in episodes or how I sort of perceived characters. It was just it was more for me. I remember um, there were, and I God maybe I am. Maybe I'm just remembering listening to my own recordings now, but I feel as though there were actually vinyl, like um, the equivalent of audiobooks for episodes. There were well, Power Records. Power Records. Okay. Yeah. 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 I remember having there those and listening first. to those. Yeah. Right. And the but late they, Neil Adams actually worked on it right. at Continuity Studios, and in fact, the late uh, uh, Russ Heath did uh, the art for some of them. And there was the Gold Key comics. There were, there were the gold yep. key comics and the collections. I never had the actual comics, but I had the uh, the trade paperback collections of right. the gold key comics. And a lot of the gold key artists had never seen the show. Yeah, so which was obvious coming oh, out of the hangar deck yeah. of the Enterprise. But Cora I think, was a blonde. I think what you brought up, though, was... was <laughs> and, and the backpacks. You know, yeah, for, right. For, for away team missions, for landing party yeah. missions. But I think the books... I remember I was probably... I was in my elementary school library, Island Park Elementary School, and I found... The James Blish mm-hmm. novel, Spock Me too. Must yeah. Die. Yeah. Now, I had had the James Blish. I had had a few because not all of them had come out at this point. Right. Uh, of the, they, he did, James Blish was a science fiction author who did adaptations. He would adapt four or five, six episodes mm-hmm. in a book. From the original series. From the original yes. series. And he wrote one original novel called Spock Must Die. And an orange rem- cover with the two spots. Yeah. yeah, and I remember finding that was it was like finding the Ark of the Covenant. Yes, mm-hmm. like it it was a new Star Trek story that I'd never heard. You know, I I had watched. I was probably like eight because Mission to Horatius doesn't count because That's it was right. a kids. It was a young adult novel, and right. it never came out really anywhere. I never saw that book when I was a kid. Oh, I had it. Yeah, I had it too. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I but but Spock a, Must a Die blue, was blue hardcover book. That yeah, was, and and what was interesting about Spock Must Die is it was so serious. It was one of the first science fiction novels I ever remember reading because I must have been six or seven when mm-hmm. I found it. And it was literally like finding. Uh, so Star Trek novels to me were were real. They were canonical, right? Because they were. It was amazing, and the story was amazing. And then as more started to come out, you had things like like uh, the Starless World or World Without End, or mm-hmm. David Gerald wrote the Galactic Whirlpool. Yeah, I think right. that came yeah. out in seventy seven. Yeah, yeah. But Star Trek novels became because there wasn't ever going to be any new Star Trek, and they were huge for Bantam. Frederick Pohl was the editor at mm-hmm. the time. He wanted nothing to do with it because it wasn't real science fiction to him. But they sold so well, they couldn't put out enough of them. And then that's why when the animated series came and they did the log books, right. the, you know, they were doing the same way they did the Blish books. But when it got canceled, they're like, "How do we keep milking this?" And they would do start doing one and one a book, and he'd well, have to expand it. The funny thing is, I, I had an experience in the library. Uh, discovering one of the you know Blish log books, 
and it was the, the Alan Dean Foster did the logbooks and no James. right uh, yeah this was the James Blish one of the James Blish right. uh, adaptation books and seeing the cover on this was uh, all red with the Enterprise going overhead and that one guy in the red uh, Star Trek uniform I think that's the cover of, of Star Trek Eight I think you're right he's just standing there sort of looking uh, you know looking up into the heavens this was so amazing to me to see it portrayed like this as a real thing. Yep. And that hooked me right at that moment. And I've never been the same. Well, those and were stunning my life. paintings. And if you remember, they had the Star Trek Reader, which collected a couple of the books. Mm-hmm. That also had, was it Chelsea Bonestell? I don't know who did that. I don't know. But I don't think it was. It also had this blue, like this moon-like. Right. And the Enterprise. Right, and, and a it, guy in a spacesuit. It was stunning. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that was the funny thing is that is that Star Trek as this series, it looked a certain way, it felt a certain way, but these books really expanded the experience of what right. the Star Trek universe was for any of us because when you're reading a novel, a novel, especially a novel that you hadn't seen on television, mm-hmm. just the way a, a, a novelist describes things and the emotions and the inner life that, that was given to these characters. Not the inner light, the inner life. No, the inner right. life that, a, that a, a novelist could write about was something that for a kid... It was mind-altering, literally, about how you felt about Star Trek because it, you know, later on, children of the 80s, when they would buy toys, they they already had a TV show that showed them how they were supposed to play with things. Right. But when you're reading a Star Trek novel as a kid in the 70s, there was nothing analogous that you had seen. We had no guide to put it back together. <laughs> Absolutely. And it, it was it's very it was hard am- to play Entropy Effect with my... And my action figures. Well, an entropy effect, that's a perfect example. I mean, that was the first book that I, that came out after Star Trek, the motion picture. But if you remember the space combat depicted in that book where Sulu was fly, he was mm-hmm. playing in a simulator against other people. And, yeah, and there were fighters. And, there were, there was, and the Enterprise yeah. would go end over end. And, and, mm-hmm. and you realize that, oh, my God, in a zero-gravity environment, the Enterprise could be this way. And mm-hmm. we'd never seen that depicted before. Right. And suddenly Star Trek became much bigger in your imagination than it was in the 79 episodes. Funny, I was just thinking that um, uh, Spock Must Die was sort of the splinter of the mind's eye of Star Trek. Mm, You know how, like, after Star Wars, you just wanted more Star Wars, you know, however you could get it. And the splinter of the minds came came out, and everybody thought, oh, this is the next story. This is canonical. This is how Darth Vader became Darth Vader. And it had that beautiful, you know, artwork on Mm -hmm. the cover, and it was, like, revelatory. And then... um, uh, yeah. and But it was the same thing with Spock Must Die because they had just done the adaptations and then have Spock Must Die, which in retrospect isn't a great book. But like at the time, it was like, like you said, The Lost Ark. You know, and something that existed side by side with these Blish novels, of course, was a curious phenomenon of the 1970s, the photo novels. That's true. That's true. Um, which was also mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. Well, it was like having VHS, you know, uh, seeing uh, these episodes – you know, basically. Explain what a photo novel is I, for people who I'm, don't know. I'm going to try. Um, it's basically what they used to call fumetti, which is uh, Italian for uh, smoke. These smoke thing, these smoke bubbles come up and give the dialogue of the people in the photos. And uh, these were individual episodes that were put in book form, and they would uh, they were uh, I think edited by. Uh, I think they were edited by Richard Anobile, uh, who uh, gathered all these frame grabs, basically, these stills from the episodes, and put them in the order and then put all the dialogue in. So you had basically a comic book version of the episode using original shots from the episode. 
And it was the best representation of the episode that you'd ever seen before. All of the photos look immeasurably better than you saw on television. Because they were so vibrant and right. the books were heavy. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah because yeah. it was that thick that, that it was thick, thick paper, paper stock. stock. Yeah, and the card stock on and the cover. And it was so mm. much so much wonders to be uh looking at because you could you could stare at one picture for hours. Yep. And the level of detail that the you level would of see detail he would never seen before on television. Because remember folks, back in those days television looked terrible. We had one pixel and we liked <laughs> and it. And we liked it. Sometimes it changed color, and that was exciting. Ah, uh, the Halicon days of low def. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the photo novels, and also they did one for Star Trek The Motion Picture, which is glorious. That's a beautiful, beautiful photo. And then, unfortunately, for Wrath of Khan, they went black and white. To Oops. save money. Yeah. And that was the beginning it was of the terrible. End. That, that was, yeah. That was it was funny, moment. though, at the same era, you know, there were other movies, and, and if you look at some of them, it's some of the biggest movies of all time that got the photo novel treatment. Mm-hmm. But it was like stuff like Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. You know, right. it's like. Who was reading that? I mean, <laughs> what do you do? You put on the Bee Gees and you yeah, read right. it? Yeah, I, I don't know. And, 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 and my favorite, though, is Nightwing. You know, oh my they, how many of those do you think they saw? They sold? did one for hair, too. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. wow. like, Without the nudity, on. I'm sure. Um, it's, but I have to say, the best of those was Close Encounters, which is absolutely glorious if you can find them. Well. The best one was Alien because they expanded into well, that, a larger, and yeah, oversized paperback. Yeah, but that, that wasn't that wasn't the photo novel brand. No, that's true. Right, but they 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 did that. They ripped off Alien yeah. and Outland. Ripped off, you know, Fox ripped those. Yes. Yeah. No, it was that book was amazing. Well, yeah, yeah because Galactic came out, but it was the photo story. It wasn't right. the tra- it wasn't a photo novel. It was another company that was ripping but it I off. But I think they did. Buck Rogers was a photo novel. I think it was a photo story. I don't know was if it was a photo, a photo story, novel because I remember Galactica was like you said it was a yeah. rip off. Mm-hmm. But those were those were great photo they did novels Vagia too. The Body Snatchers. They did, they did. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, the Ralph Bashke Lord of the Rings. But you know, I'll tell you something. Even the books in the seventies. I remember there's a book that came out, and I'm not going to put her down because she wrote the book. Her name was Kathleen Sky. No more cracks about the book. Kathleen Sky. <laughs> she wrote a book called Vulcan, and the cover of Vulcan had Spock. Holding a hot like yeoman in another blue outfit <laughs> with a phaser, just like now special uh, me too edition. with a phaser and 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 giant ants right coming up toward him, and it was <laughs> it was like a Frank Frazetta painting or Boris yeah. Vallejo or something. And even I, as a kid, and Vulcan had an exclamation point next right. to it. Even I, as a kid, because I I would scour the bookstores waiting for a new Star Trek. It's book. the musical Star Trek. That's all a Vulcan in one big package. <laughs> it was, I just looked at this book and I felt even as a kid. You know, I was probably ten mm-hmm. by this point. I was insulted. Yeah, I'm like, don't were. give me this crap. Well, who, 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 who put this out? Like, why would you denigrate one of my favorite characters of all time and have him holding on to those ants? Point in there. Yeah, Can hot chick and exclamation point, giant ants. It was, it was just like, it was insulting. It was insulting. I hated that. Go look it up. Look for the cover of of. Kathleen Sky's Vulcan. You don't need giant ants to make Star Trek exciting. Haven't we learned that by and now? And thus, toxic fandom was born. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, though, look, we got some the cover of Spock Messiah. Uh-huh. How great was that, that cover? That was pretty yeah. awesome. That was an awesome cool. cover. I will like say, a burning planet with Spock coming out. Yeah, that was pretty cool. He was very green on that cover. And uh, <sighs> God Emperor Spock. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I would say, though, you know, Voyager could have used a few more giant ants. Could have. Yeah. But, you know, then Star Trek novels took a real weird turn with Sandra Marshak and Myrna Colbraith writing The Price of the Phoenix and The Fate Which of the Phoenix. Which was in their universe, like they mm. fan fiction. It was so bizarre that they set those novels in the universe of their own fan fiction. Right. And, and then they also did things like they edited 
the Star Trek The New Voyages anthology, mm-hmm. where there were these fan fanzine short stories that were then collected into right. an official... I love that first New Voyages. I did, too. And that had Mind Sifter in it. Yep. And one of my favorite short stories of all time... A voyage visit to, to a small visit planet. to a small yep. planet revisit uh, yeah. where the it, it's about the crew of the Enterprise, the real actors. Uh, right. uh, it's Galaxy Quest basically, yeah. Galaxy Quest. and and uh, Shatner and Nimoy and D. Kelly find themselves on the re- it's mirror mirror also on the real Enterprise in the 20th century, and they have to pretend they're not actors and fake their way through being on the real Enterprise. It's a delightful story. Maybe that's Quentin Tarantino's idea. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> you know, I think that book came out in 76, and when I went to summer camp, to Camp Orkyla in mm. uh, Washington State, my mom put it in my my suitcase. Aww. When I opened up my suitcase at summer camp, Nancy. there was the first... Uh, there was the first where, where uh, the Star Trek: The New Voyages. Oh, that's book. the I I remember the bookstore I bought it at, but my parents didn't get it for me and put it in my parents' summer. Yeah, camp. my mom put it in my, my luggage. That's nice. Um, you know, and and there was something else that existed side by side with these uh, novels at the time, which we haven't talked about, but I imagine were a huge influence on us all. Um, pursuing a career in film and television, which, of course, was the double shot of Stephen Whitfield and Gene Roddenberry's making of Star Trek, along yeah. with David Gerald's The Making of the Trouble with Tribbles. Yep. Right. You know, I mean, not only for, for, for us as writers, but for you Absolutely. as a, as, as a, as you know, a designer. concept artist, it, designer. It basically showed me that there was people who did this for a living. Right. And it showed me that this is, you know, you can enjoy the show as much as you want, but there's people behind the scenes making this stuff and creating this from nothing. I think that's the first time they had the um, uh, the, the signature where it was just stills from the from the and it was behind the scenes stuff. It was mm-hmm. the first time I ever saw behind the scenes photos of anything, yeah. let yeah. alone Star Trek. Yeah, and they showed the scenes from the Apple. Yeah. Where the guy gets hit by the, the yeah the, the elements the, oh the, yeah 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 the, how they did the visual effects the visual effects and I was yeah. I remember that being mind but how yeah. how many of those books did you go through I think I went through oh I went three through at least four yeah yeah because yeah. yeah. I read them to I took them to bed with me yeah you know and they just, and the the binding it fell apart it was a pretty thick yeah. hefty book yeah, yeah. it's and not as hefty as the fifty year mission but it's it's pretty hefty and I I used to I used to read it in in Roddenberry's voice all the all the you know capitalized paragraphs I I would read in Ron Bray's voice. I wish I had the book here. but I, I wish I had brought it. Well, Ashley just brought up the two, probably the, the two greatest publications, yeah. both from 1975. Well, before you do that, I, I want to, you know, people don't normally mention this. You know, everyone says, oh, making of Star Trek, the Jaws log. But I got to give credit to David Gerald's book, too, which was the first book that I think really shone, shone a light on Gene Kuhn, mm-hmm. you know, right. which was wonderful. Right, right. Uh, very important, but also the evolution of a rewrite, right. it, it, where it tracks uh, the different drafts and then ultimately had them in the book. So I, it may also be the first time I ever read a film, a TV script, mm. you know, in that book. Wow. So I think that that Making the Trouble with Tribbles book, it, it, you know, really is belongs alongside sort of Making of Star Trek as sort of a seminal you know, behind the scenes making of book. Because I always point to, you know, the Jaws log making of Star Trek in that book is sort of like the key you know, books in terms of, you know, because people talk about Bill Goldman and Adventure of the Screen Trade, which is great, but it was really those books, I think, that galvanized, you know, uh, a career in, in, in writing and producing for me. Well, isn't that interesting that you bring that up because the Jaws log and the making of, making of Star Trek came out earlier, Trouble with Trolls came out about the same yeah. time as the Jaws log, but they were these three books making of books, and I feel the same way that you did, it, and you too, you, 
you learned how the process of movie. I didn't know about the process. Mm-hmm. The the making of Star no Wars hadn't did. been on TV. It was all mythologized, and it was still this thing that you loved and you understood intimately. So you could make the leaps. Like when you're watching a TV show, you're still seeing it as an in-universe experience. Like you're thinking about the Star Trek universe, whereas those books completely deconstructed that and showed, okay, there is a, a methodology and a process by which this imagination thing that we loved was created. So the, the juxtaposition of these two things were things that were instilled in us as children, even before we understood anything about how movies are made, per mm-hmm. se. But Star Trek allowed us to get there before anything. Yeah. And, and it was it was fascinating. I'm a little the odd man out on that. Not because I didn't read and love those books, but because, I, and I don't know what the explanation is, it, it is, and it seems strange considering what I ended up doing with my life, but I never connected to those books um, as an experience of process. Mm. I mean, I mm. found some of the things in the process fascinating. Like, I loved finding out that the Enterprise was originally called the Yorktown. It had a big mm-hmm. ball on the front of it. And, and like, it James looked Winter different. was, was going to be the captain. Right. Right. Yeah. And, like, and all that shit was like, that was incredibly interesting to me. But for whatever reason, I continued to access it and connect to it as Star Trek. Mm. And I don't know, like, I don't know how, I mean, it's it's such a strange concept because obviously I'm not delusional. It's like I knew, like, Star Trek was a TV show and this was telling me, like, how it was made. But I never stepped outside of the experience of being a Star Trek fan when reading it. It simply, it simply added to the texture of it for me. But you know what's interesting is that your career track is a little different than ours because, you know, Rob and I bo- and, and Darren, you know, sort of both, you know, despite some you know, zigzag and serpentining fell. We we went straight into film and TV. Right. You went into the sciences. Yeah, that's true. You know, which is, so before you became a writer and a screenwriter and a, a TV producer and showrunner and creator, you were you were in, you know. Uh, I was a math nerd. You were yeah. a math nerd and you were doing, you know, rocket science. You were a defense contractor. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know if that, if there's yeah, I mean, anything well, to that, but. Certainly. Yes, um, in the sense that um, I was always most excited by the things that uh, that were most out there. You were Tony Stark, pretty much. No, uh, not at all. But uh, but it was, I think, Star Trek fandom in a lot of ways um, made my mind more supple in terms of imagining what technology could do um, and how technology could solve problems, or even in the context of um, even just talking about military problems, asking myself the question I always come back to with nearly every problem that I face. War, what, uh, what is it good for? Right. No. What would <laughs> Captain Kirk do? Right? Mm. And, you know, it's amazing, like, how many of life's mysteries can be solved by asking yourself, what would Captain Kirk do? Um, but also, you know, again, the fact that Star Take Trek Take the phaser, so leave the cannoli? Damn right. Maybe not. Uh, and cannoli. like, I love Italian, and so do you. <laughs> um, no, I mean, the, the fact that Star Trek was so concerned with science, that it was something that, look, I could access Star Trek more easily than I could access Star Wars. I love Star Wars, but I can picture myself on the bridge of the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. You know, I can see that because mm-hmm. I know that they are human. I know that they are from Earth. I know that there is a shared history, and so by extension, there is this future. 
mm -hmm. uh, that we that we share. And it was easier for me to project myself into it. So no matter what I think I've done in my, my career, um, you know, that process of, of projecting and, you know, thinking about like how these characters and these these situations and these this technology that's become that became so real to me in my head, um, you know, how it helped me um, to think about new problems, mm. um, to solve things I, I hadn't encountered before. And my God, like look at our okay, think about the toys that we had for just a second. We had, you know, our our communicators. And we had our tricorders, right? It's like it's, you know, it's 1976 and you're walking around with like your little model communicator and you flip it open. Well, that's weird. It flips open. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? If you busted out your communicator in 2018 and you flipped it open, you would still get, well, that's weird. It flips open. That's because that technology is behind us, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. But all of that stuff is here. The only thing we're not doing is, you know, flying faster than light, projecting shields. Um, you know, we're not, obviously we don't have... Uh, transporters, right. you know, those things aren't there. But but so many of the things that people just didn't understand, right? That would we would get our asses kicked for for playing with them or saying, hey, let's play Star Trek. Well, hell, we're all playing Star Trek now. Right. Well, that's what's so funny is that Star Trek wasn't showing the uh, technology of 300 years in the future. It was showing the technology of 30 years in the future. Yes. And, you know, which is why I don't understand this fascination with doing Star Trek prequels. Because for me, what was so intriguing about Star Trek was always this 15 minutes into the future. You know, and sort of anticipating what the world would be like. And now that's such fertile ground with social media and where that's going to go and with the advances that we're seeing. So, you know, why keep doing a retro universe where you're not even willing to embrace the retro and, uh, you know, as opposed to boldly going, which is what Star Trek was always about. Because as you point out in the Star Trek versus Star Wars um, Smackdown that Star Trek was always aspirational. You put yourself in that universe because it was Earth. Star Wars was, you know enter you know entertaining it was right. not it was not you didn't really play star wars maybe some people did but you know with star trek you you just did it in a you, you did it in a different way yeah you would fight with lightsabers because it was fun the same way you would do you know robin hood or or or, or king arthur or whatever you know but 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 star trek you really created a, a, a world and um so, you know star wars was very different because i think star wars you're set on the outside looking in and loving it but Star Trek, you're almost in the inside looking out. It's 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 really interesting point that you brought up. I the think. Uh, the line that haunts me, the prediction that haunts me from Star Trek, uh, comes from the uh, the the season finale of the first season of Star Trek: The Next Generation, when Data says, "Television, it's a form of entertainment that doesn't didn't last, you know, long past 2025." And I think about that, and I'm looking at you know my calendar. <laughs> yeah. It's 2018, and I'm thinking, you know what? Broadcast right. television might not make it past twenty. We now call it Netflix. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but it's, it's on my tricorder. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think one of the things that you know we sort of talked about already is that certainly in the early years of Star Trek marketing and products, they were very based in letting kids be creative and imaginative. Uh, for example, the uh, the um, Starfleet technical manual. Uh, Mind-blowing. God, I Mind love blowing. the Dreadnought. I yeah. still want to see know, I, right? Oh my God. I know. I, mean, the, I want to see that Starbase. Yeah. 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 The, all the things that actually fed into your imagination rather than took it over, rather than replaced it, which I think a lot, of, a lot happens today with, you know, get off my lawn, video games and stuff like that. Um, I think that 
it encouraged kids to expand their world rather than limit it. Let me ask you a question. The technical manual was 75 or 76? 75. 75. So Both I already were. had the blueprints. Right. And I remember, I mean, to this day, and I was fairly young. I don't remember a lot from that. But I remember as though it was yesterday walking into a bookstore mm-hmm. knowing, and seeing this on the shelf and like turning it. It was with my aunt. I mean, I remember it with my aunt, Aunt Beth. And I said, you have to buy this for me. <laughs> you know, I mean, not not can you buy this for me, right. please? You have to buy this for me. And I mean, I still have it to this day. That original hardcover. Me too. Yeah, me too. And and um, uh, you know, I'll go back from it from time to time. And it had that United Federation of Planets flag in it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. but the dreadnought was a fascinating. Right. Uh, well, and then it got to be a novel, and I was so excited. I was like, you know, Peter Coyote and ET. It's like I've been wishing for this since <laughs> I was twelve. Years we old. should in Starship Smackdown this year. In, in San Diego, we do a panel, a beloved panel at Comic-Con every year. We've been doing it for 15 years, this group of people and some more. Um, uh, Starship Smackdown, which has just gotten bigger and bigger this year. We had over 1,000 people packed wow. the room. And uh, over 1,000 people. And um, we should have the Dreadnought. We should, we want, we, that, that's because, a good because and then people the say, dreadnought. but, you know, I thought you you guys only do real ships. We'll be like, it's real to us. It's real to us. <laughs> and we've wanted to see this matchup since time immemorial. But and, you know, but the thing about I think we should do that. But I think what you pointed out about the 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 two things about the technical manual and the blueprints that blew my mind was they were done and made as if they actually came from the twenty third century. Right. Yeah. Yes. It was not they're like in universe. Yeah, yes. they're in universe. It wasn't like this is Star Trek with a big picture of Kirk <laughs> right, Spock. Right. 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 Yeah. 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 I mean, sure, the yeah. Enterprise blueprints had the picture of the Enterprise, but once and you it took even out, had a note right. in the beginning. Yeah. From that the Commodore. Said, that from the Commodore, we are giving this to you in the you know ancient paper form, <laughs> so that you can you know uh, have an interesting look at you know how things were done back then. And as a kid, you know even the the way the blueprints all had the registration numbers yeah. as if they were signed off by Starfleet, mm-hmm. you got something that you felt was, was from the was future, absolutely yep. from the future and real that only you. Had I mean you knew right. other kids had and pre desktop publishing pre Photoshop yeah and it's remarkable how authentic authentic it is how 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 cool that whole thing is and you know it's 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 really funny because I agree with you about the in universe like that's one of the things I loved about David Goodman's autobiography autobiography of uh, Captain Kirk that other than his brief introduction I think at the very end you know it's totally. Um, in universe, you know, it never is sort of like winking at you or saying this is Star Trek merchandise or whatever. But that was it was so mind blowing because there was political. There was like the Articles of the Federation. Yes, yes, yes. And it had all this political stuff that certainly wasn't for kids. It was well, for anybody. And how they actually made it, we like, have to we have to you know shout out to the great late Franz Joseph Schnaubelt, who created the blueprints and the technical manual. Yes. Um, he did this all by himself, basically, and he drew every page, yeah. and it is unfreaking believable. I mean, he he kind of started out as a fan artist, and turned it into this moment in history that uh, you know I will never forget when I first saw those, and they're just amazing. And I mean, you know, arguably accuracy aside, because they weren't accurate to the 
TV show, but who cares at that time? But we yeah. didn't know that yet. We That's didn't right. know. I it. mean, it was like. Plus, then they refit the Enterprise, and it looked totally different. No, it didn't so, have like yeah. the two turbo shifts on the bridge, and everybody was yeah. like, "Turbo shot, two, 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 two <laughs> turbo shots." I kept wondering where the hell on that the, other one was. Yeah. Where did they put it? You yeah, know, and, 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 and then they ended up putting the two uh, turbo shafts into Star Trek: The Motion right. Picture, um, which then, made sense, and multiple transporter rooms, right? Which you know you never understood, even as a kid watching The Enemy Within. They got one transporter room, and they can't, you know, where are they? Whether they're not sending down a shuttlecraft, and well, you know, or do they want Sulu to die? I mean, is that what they did? Shatner hates Takai so much he just wants him to freeze to death? I don't know what's going on. That's Takai. <laughs> I think the last thing that the 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 piece de resistance was inside Star Trek: The Record Album, mm-hmm. where Roddenberry talked, and you actually heard. Inside Star Trek, Is that the you creator of Star Trek would would began learning. Your... We we talked about this in in a, in another episode of this. Um, yeah, that that's where my Gene Roddenberry impersonation began and ended, um, because uh, it was fascinating hearing the you know the great bird talking with uh, with Kirk and and uh, Sarek and, and I mean it was mind boggling. It was amazing. That's a good thing for election day. Sarah of Vulcan, how do you vote? <laughs> so how do you think as children who were so influenced by this show, how did all of these things work together on our psyches? It was the perfect storm, wasn't it? It really yeah. was. Yeah. Is that what I mean, kids today, you know, you play a video game, you've got everything in front of you. You've got you don't have to imagine No, because they're so accurate. They're so photoreal. That it's like everything. They're telling the story for you. You're not using your imagination to picture anything. But it's not like when we had pic- these little pixel, like, you know, on Atari 2600, you would imagine that, you know, those 10 squares were a dragon. And, you, you, <laughs> right. you, you know, you, you got to imagine and create this world. I mean, because adventure was our Game of Thrones. It was incredible, oh, right? right? And uh, now everything is so... You don't have to do any of that heavy I, lifting. You know, let, let's not turn it into, into kids these days. I think... The, the experiences are different for kids today. I, I think they are equally as valid uh, levels of excitement and engagement. Um, well, they have better oh, they toys. they certainly are. They have I mean, better toys. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you should see my nine-year-old, like, doing his dinosaur smackdowns. It's just, it's yeah. bananas. Yeah. Um, and, but and, animated dinosaurs do not qualify. No, so, they like, don't. Puff the real. Magic Dragon, it does not count. Peach not Dragon real. does not right count. Out. Totally. Only real dragons. Only, only real, real Vermithrax or whatever the um, hell. Vermithrax. Vermithrax pejorative. <laughs> I can never um, get that right. You know, for, for me, I think this is why, you know, I... I I keep saying I had this different experience with like this things that weren't to spec than than Rob had. Right. Um, it it's not that I didn't I wouldn't have loved it if they were to spec, mm-hmm. but I think in some ways um, it was easier for me to project myself um, into this this world that meant so much to me because I wasn't overloaded with detail. Right. Because I wasn't sort of standing back and going, wow. It's kind of like talking about a dog standing up on his hind legs. You know, it's like the the thing that's amazing about it um, isn't how long he stays up there. It's that he does it at all. Right. And if you're just kind of, you know, <laughs> fixated on, wow, that dog is really standing. You're not thinking about, you know, the fact that he did it at all, which right. is really kind of the, the miracle. Well, I have to say, 
You know, we, we've gotten through a decade of Star Trek merchandise. <laughs> There's and so much the more service. to talk about. I think we're going to have to come back and do a, a sequel episode because, of course, there's the amazing Playmates toys in the yeah. 90s. The uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the yeah, the, the Mike, Mike Akuta's wonderful Star Trek encyclopedia. Um, there's all, I mean, and Rob still to this day reads all the Star Trek novels. We never so, got to my... My love for my McDonald's, my Star Trek The Motion Picture, McDonald's, McDonald's Happy, Happy Meal. Okay, well, that falls within the first episode. We should talk about that. Okay. Because, of course, that was a huge thing. Because Star Trek was always considered niche, right? McDonald's doing a Happy Meal for Star Trek The Motion Picture was a huge thing. And it was yeah. the first branded Happy Meal. No, McDonald's. For you parents who don't speak Klingonese, he's saying people of Earth unite and bring your kids to McDonald's for a Star Trek meal. That's a regular hamburger, fries, soft drink, a McDonald's land cookie sampler, and a Star Trek prize. Oh, yes, five different boxes based on Star Trek, the motion picture, action scenes, jokes, games. He says, take it from a father who knows. His kids love them. McDonald's Star Trek meal available for your kids now. The first one ever. That's right. Because they had started Happy Meals earlier, but it had, you know, generic. Mayor Mc, right. uh, Mayor McGee. No, they didn't even. Ha- they just had Happy no? Meal. Yeah. No, not the even hamburger. the char- Not even the characters on it. They it's didn't have any of that stuff. Yeah. Like the grimace burger. They didn't have any of that stuff. Any of that stuff. It was just plain. Wow. But when 1979 rolled around, they started the Happy Meal with Star Trek on it and beautiful artwork, uh, crappy toys, but you know. Huh. They had, but they were toys. good. Yeah. And they the were glasses ours. were good. And Remember we the glasses? Oh, yeah. yeah, the glasses were amazing. And by the way, the yeah. toys though were were the twelve inch figures were amazing. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. To but get those was like that wasn't wow. McDonald's, but yeah, no. yeah, no. But I mean, you said, the, the, you mean the toys inside I'm, the, the happy toys meals. in yeah. the Happy Meals? Yeah. Yeah. You think no, the grimace was a hut? I, I think absolutely. <laughs> grimace was one of the huts. Grimace, goodness. Well. I think, yeah, we're going to have to return to this another day. Well, because I think Burger King later on did Star Trek uh, as they well did. for Khan, didn't they? Uh, I don't know if anyone did Khan, actually. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe it was for Star uh, Trek Three. Taco Bell did Star Trek Three. I remember those. Cause they I had never the, liked Star Trek Three, and I the, never will. <laughs> they, had the, they had the fancy glasses. Those are probably the best glasses that were ever released, mm. actually. The Taco Bell glasses. The Taco Bell glasses. You know, I, what is That's amazing right. to me is I guess they did a survey recently among the American public about what their favorite Mexican restaurant is, and the answer was Taco Bell. I, I, and, and the fact that we allow people to vote, it makes it much easier for me to understand how the election went the way it did when people are saying their favorite Mexican food is Taco Bell. But well, I, wait a minute. I think, though, that that's a good point in the sense that most Americans don't have the experience of Mexican food. because. Anywhere. Yeah. yeah, they don't. They, if you're living in the Midwest, Taco Bell is the only Mexican restaurant. You're not from you know, Texas or California. Chevy's. You know what I yeah. just realized? Or to some extent, Arizona. <laughs> or, wait, what was the place Free Enterprise? That was, well, that Chubby's. was. Oh, yeah, 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 that was Chevy's. Another place we put out of business. Yeah. Chevy's <laughs> yeah. is gone. But that, that's the thing. Cartoonsville. You, you go around at some places, they don't, they don't, well, you live in California, so, Me- and Texas, Mexican yeah. food's a big, a big thing, but. Yeah, you know, South no, nowhere else is it. I'm very concerned about the fact that we will no longer be getting advertising from Taco Bell. I think I've made a huge mistake. Well, <laughs> so well, we you know what? I'll that. get it back by saying, you know what? Sure, is Taco Bell a you know is it really a feast that's fit for a king? No, but when you're a college student and you can get like tacos for 99 cents, it's perfect. And you go, it's damn the best right value for your money. You damn right, that is. is true. Yo if you're a Mexican Bell. and you can't spend a lot of money, you could do worse. And they than Taco had the Bell. best Star Trek glasses back in the you're day. Damn so right, shut they up. did. Like, Star Trek. I, I went to Taco Bell specifically <laughs> to get those glasses. Taco Bell double decker tacos. 
are really divine, I have to say. See, the places I ate as a kid, you know, like Wendy's and um, and and Roy Rogers, they didn't have uh, movie tie-ins. That's true. So I was I was sort of screwed on that front. So maybe I just resent the fact that you who went to Taco Bell were able to enjoy uh, this wonderful Star <laughs> Trek is. gift that I never, never, it's never jealousy. got. Well, it's pure jealousy. And uh, But we'll come back. We'll talk about the Playmates toys. We'll talk about the wonderful uh, pocketbook Star Trek line, which goes on and on mm, and to this on day. to this day. Yeah, it's hugely successful. Um you know what are some of the other great uh, Star Trek? Uh, I the, mean, the, the DC comics that came out after Star Trek Two, yeah. sure, which, sure. which called them. They they yeah. they they were very prophetic. They were the first people to put a Klingon on the bridge of the Enterprise. That's I right. Think we I remember save that. all this for the next. And of course, yeah, right. uh, you know um, uh, the, the the Malibu Deep Space Nine comics that I worked on a bunch, which I loved, and I'm very proud of those. And of course, Eagle Moss is now doing these beautiful, uh, which are amazing ship replicas. Everything from uh, the classic ships to Discovery, and they all look great. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're making bigger ones now. Yeah, I know. Uh, along with their Galactica toys, they just came out with the original Viper. It's freaking awesome. I'm going to get you one. Yeah. And um, yeah, so there's a lot to talk about clearly, <laughs> and uh, we will uh, we will revisit the uh, Star Trek merchandising mania um, because Star Trek was arguably never bigger than it was in the '90s uh, when you had the perfect storm of next generation appealing to families, the launch of two new shows with Deep Space Nine and Voyager, and the movies. Um, it had gone from being a niche show for nerds, if I may say, <laughs> to a huge ma- mainstream show. And 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 uh, so we'll talk Emmy about nominated. that era. What Emmy nominated? For, em- Emmy for... nominated in its seventh and worst yeah. season. And Generations was on the cover of Time magazine. Indeed, and that was sort of the beginning of the end in a lot of ways. For for it had, it was sort of the top of the mountain, you know, in a sense, in terms of, of its glass popularity, in terms of uh, you know mainstream attention. Uh, some would say qualitatively, it's 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 very interesting. So we'll we'll definitely talk about that. But uh, I want to thank you guys so much for being here, and we're going to have you back very soon because, of course, we have um, brilliant rancateur, um, filmmaker. Uh, um, uh, blogger uh, Rob Meyer Burnett, who you can follow on Twitter at uh, Burnett RM. Find me on Instagram at RM Burnett or subscribe to The Burnett Work on YouTube to watch my new upcoming show, Observations. And he did that without ever spending a million dollars for a marketing consultant to come out with that. He came out with that all on his own. Um, what about you? You have Lore currently air, uh, dropped on, I, it's not airing because right. TV is dead no as of air. 2025. It's streaming it on uh, Amazon, Lore. And yeah. uh, what else can we be looking out for? Uh, you know, just uh, look out for me on uh, <laughs> <laughs> on Twitter. When you're driving. Master Zero when I'm driving, especially when I've got three kids yelling at me from the back seat. Just, just so watch, watch yourself out, out there. Fresh. And yeah. uh, Darren, they can find you where? Find me at uh, Twitter. At Darren Doc One R, and of course uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Mark A Altman. Also, uh, my uh, two vo- best-selling two-volume Star Trek series. You can follow us at Fifty Year Mission Book on Twitter as well to find out the latest with uh, uh, future editions as well as the upcoming paperback versions of Fifty Year Mission. Um, on behalf of myself, Robert Meyer Burnett, Ashley E Miller, and Darren Doctorman, thank you for joining us for another episode of Inglorious Trexperts and. Engage. Good night, sweet.
my prayers are for you. Good night, sweetheart. I'll be watching all.